Welcome to AEC Marketing for Principals, brought to you by Smartages, where we help design and construction firms navigate sales and leverage marketing to win more projects. Here are your hosts, Katie Cash and Judy Sparks. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. Today, we're talking with Danya Edler, who is the new executive vice president here at Smartages. She happens to be my boss as well. Um, but Danya brings over 25 years of professional marketing, communications, and human resources experience in both the public and private sectors. Her focused expertise around mergers, acquisitions, strategic market planning, brand management, business development, and internal and external communication is going to be so instrumental here at Smartages to the growth and prosperity of the agency, really focusing on business, clients, and culture. And with that, let's dive into getting to know a little bit more about you, Danya, and your history, and kind of let's dive into your expertise around mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, sure. Well, it's, um, it's, it is definitely true that the mergers and acquisitions isn't going away in our space. I was just looking at a report not too long ago that said um, it was almost $4.7 trillion of global mergers and acquisitions um, last year. So it's, it's definitely here to stay. And, you know, companies do it for various reasons. It's, you know, either to just have access to new markets or new sectors or, um, to acquire new technologies, and in many cases, certainly with the ones I've been involved in, it's just to get a bigger footprint um, and to have a global scale or a global presence. So throughout my career, I've been involved, I was just counting, it's actually been five um, various mergers, acquisitions, or, or JVs. And as you said, Katie, I, I've been on both sides of it. So, you know, I've been on the side where um, I was with the acquiring firm. I knew all, I knew it was coming. You know, I signed non-disclosures and um, and was just very integral in, in part of the rollout of it. And then I've been on the other side too, where I never saw it coming. I woke up like everybody else, saw an email, you know, we'd been acquired and it was like, Wow. <laughs> and, um, and then I've also been a part of JVs, which are more like um, a coming together of equals, you know, um, equal firms. And you're, you're going back and forth over, you know, who, who's going to do what. But um, each case is very different. Um, I think there are pluses and minuses to each one. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's part of my norm now, part of my new norm. So, Danya, that has been probably an invaluable experience for you um, being in all of these different scenarios. And what occurs to me is as a marketer, you know, you've had to be really adaptable to these circumstances. And I think that can you speak to our um, marketing audience, those who sit in your shoes, um, you know, what are some of the uh, best practices you've uncovered along the way when you were on both sides of the table, like how do you communicate to your counterparts when you are the acquiring firm? And then how have you experienced, you know, positive and negative um, styles as um, others are communicating with you when you're being acquired? Well, you know, I really have been heavily involved just in sort of the, the, the changing of the culture aspect. And that that is a big part of the communication, you know, just changing of the cultures when one firm's acquiring another or, or vice versa. And so just, you know, I'll talk about that just for a little bit, because I think it's really important. I think it's, it's underestimated too, just how valuable that is. So the, the, the culture 
um, of two companies coming together sometimes is it's not looked at um, during the pre-merger acquisition stage. So there isn't a lot of communication. Um, and, you know, it's the, that stage is done under a cloak of secrecy anyway. So um, it's really only so much that you can say. But, you know, the, the culture really is the soft side of the business. And it's just those unwritten rules. It's how things get done in a business. It's how the leaders lead. It's how decisions are made. It's um, how we interact with our customers. And all of that is, it's really hard to change. And it's really, it can be a strategic asset, you know, how the, how the business operates um, and how it gets things done because there are lots of companies that can match what you're doing. You know, they can match your services, they can match your products, but it's, it's how you get it done. So I think some of the best practices, once you, um, you know, once we, we know that this merger or acquisition is going to take, take place, um, first of all, you know, do recognize that one of the first things you got to do is look at like the employees because the trust is diluted, you know, right from the start because so many of them didn't know about it. Morale's dropping, you know, it's a time of, um, of just distraction. People worried about who's going to stay, who's going to go. Um, your people start thinking in terms of them versus us, you know, our company versus their company. So you, the, one of the early things that has to happen is, you know, a culture change plan so that you can get all of your people on the same page, because how can you service your customers and communicate to them all the great things that are happening if you don't have all of your people on board? So I, I think that that whole change plan um, is step number one. And there's some, there's some things that actually go into the change plan. I can talk about that a little bit later on how you do that. But I, I really think one of the best practices is to take a real hard look at the culture and how you're going to bridge the gaps um, with the new company. I, mean, I could not agree with you more, Danya. On the consulting side of things, when I see my customers um, participate in a merger or acquisition, you know, what we think about um, in terms of culture, we actually think about and coin as brand living. Um, even with the absence of a merger or acquisition, we believe that brand living is the most important part of branding. And, you know, what I mean by brand living is that these are not things that employees are going to intuitively know. Um, these are the intentional ways that a leadership of a company demonstrates how um, they want their employees to affect the culture, treat one another, treat clients, um, how they communicate. And it comes from the top down. And I think that it's so often overlooked in a branding process. Um, you know, my CEOs are quick to say, I want us to come up with our story. You know, why did we merge? Why is it good for our employees? Why is it good for our customers? And I think that um, sometimes that happens really late in the process. Um, in fact, a lot of times it happens after the ink is dry. And those conversations really should happen early in the process. Um, so we've been living some of those scenarios um, daily here at Smartages with our clients where, you know, during the uh, transaction, it's very much a financial conversation. Mm -hmm. um, once the transaction closes, however, it really becomes a people conversation. And so um, that 
becomes very important very fast uh, once a transaction occurs. Um, we have been in scenarios where um, the merger or acquisition is, is very happy news for everybody involved. Um, and it only strengthens the brand. There's been other scenarios where, like you said, it, it's a bit of a blindside and we almost have to put on our crisis communications hat and make sure that we're very intentional about telling the employees and explaining to the employees how things happen. So what is, what, what has been your experience in terms of how employees are willing to receive um, the leadership commentary, if you will, after the ink is dried? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you hit on some really, really good points. It's, you know, after the ink is dry, especially for those employees of the acquired firm, like I said, you know, there, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of um, mistrusting feel, feelings, if you would, you know, mm-hmm. um, there were, you know, relationships prior to the deal where, you know, employees felt like they were in the know. And then after the deal, you know, as you said, they didn't see it coming. And, and so you have this, this mistrust with, with executives sometimes, you know, it's like, um, not only is it, are the folks thinking of a them versus us in terms of, you know, their company versus the other, but it's the executives versus the frontline management, because there are these strong perceptions also that sometimes the executives are the ones who are really, you know, um, getting these great packages and, um, and, and here we are left, we aren't even sure about our jobs. So, um, in the beginning, I'll, I mean, I'll just just reiterate it as you did that in the beginning during those pre-merger and acquisition activities, it's so much um, focus on the financial data, the operations, um, and and revenue synergies. You know, what are those things that we're going to do better, or that both companies can do better together than they could um, if they were you were not, and so. I, I think the very successful mergers and acquisitions will also take a real quick look um, at the the different cultures during the pre-merger stage. Um, the reason that so many of them don't take a look at it is because even if you look at you know both both cultures and and you see that they're not compatible or it's going to be really hard to get them aligned it's not likely that it's going to call off the deal. The deal's probably still going to, you know, still going to go through. But I, I just think mm-hmm. it's wise to take a look at it. But on day one, you know, after the ink has dried, um, you cannot communicate enough um, to employees on why we're better together, mm-hmm. you know, why we came together and what the vision is. I, I think if employees also know that they will be a part of developing the new vision, the new values, the set of behaviors, then they tend to, it, it seems like you would um, you'd be better positioned to have the employees receive some of the, the newness of the deal a little bit better. But when it comes from on high, say day one, and, and you, you, you flow down, okay, we're, this is the new company, and these are our visions and our values, and this is what we expect, that's a little bit, that's, I've been in that situation too. That's just harder to receive. And I, I don't think you, you do the, the new company justice that way. So make it you involve everybody in the development of the new company. I think it opens up, it opens up the reception for, you know, for what's coming down the, down the road. 
So, you know, I'm hearing a lot and I, I do agree that, you know, you want to involve some people and, and you definitely, after the ink is dried, it, it becomes more of a people conversation. Um, in our experience on the consulting side, there's kind of two schools of thought that we've experienced. One is the leadership that has always been um, very transparent and very um, accessible to their staff and they want everybody to be aware along the journey. And, you know, Judy and I have experienced um, how loose lips can, can get in the media quite quickly about the intent of mergers ahead of time before you want to, and you kind of wind up in this crisis communications scenario. But then you've also got the other side that really doesn't want to share any details until everything is said and done and, you know, all the packages and everything's tied up neatly. But I do think that a lot of times our clients miss that important piece about integrating the culture and what life after the merger really looks like and how you're going to be able to sell it both internally and externally. So you've been through this a few times. Um, how do you go about describing culture and identifying what those gaps might be and which one is going to be the prevailing culture that you want to adopt after the merger? How do you go about that? Yeah, I, 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 that's a great question. I, you know, as I said, you know, early in the process, um, there, there's usually, I would recommend a culture team, more or less, you know, there's a team of, of people that need to lead that effort. And when you define the new culture, um, one of the, you know, first things you do, define that new culture in terms of the behavior, you know, asking, okay, as the new company, what is it that we want to do differently? You know, yeah, maybe you are looking at taking the best from both companies, but, you know, what, what do we want to do differently? And, and the way that you, you, you know, assess the gaps, um, you know, there, there are all sorts of, of techniques, you know, there, there are employee surveys, you know, where you, you're reaching out to employees and asking them questions about how they get their work done, how they work with each other, how they interact with clients. Uh, one of my favorites is, you know, having listening groups mm -hmm. where you're actually talking with, um, with groups of people face-to-face uh, -face, and again asking the same sorts of questions about how they how they go about their day then you have you've got management interviews um, because it's it's really interesting to see how different management styles can be and and how the companies um, differ in making decisions so again the, these are types of things that I that identify the gaps and then even throwing in their customer interviews I think is quite is quite important because you know, a lot of times we're, we're, we're not as good as we think we may be. And so having that objective view from, from customers from each of the companies participate, you know, and, and talk about their experiences can also be very revealing and, and, and help, you, help you see those blind spots um, from both companies and help you determine what we want the new company to look like. So th those are just some of the ways to, to identify, identify those gaps um, and then you, then you begin the hard work of implementing that plan, you know, how, how you're going to close them. You know, one of the things you said, Donya, made me think, you know, that has to be extremely challenging with the scale and size of the companies that, that you've worked for. Um, but I'm also seeing the same, uh, set of challenges, even in smaller acquisitions. You know, um, I think that whether you are, you know, a large global company, publicly traded company, acquiring another large global company, um, or you're a um, mid-sized company 
acquiring a mom and pop, the challenges of merging cultures remains the same. And I think that your your advice um, on having a culture team is really important because at the, at the end of the day, it, it's really people working with people and being aligned and and building trust. Um, one of the things we talk about quite a bit in our branding efforts with our clients is that people buy and sell goods and services emotionally. And in our business, um, externally, people are buying and selling emotionally as well. And what they're buying is trust. Which firm um, do I trust the most? Because um, most times all the firms are equally qualified from a resume standpoint. And our listeners know by now that we truly believe that relationships always play a part, but these days they're playing a smaller part um, second to the strength of one's brand. And so having a trusted brand is really important. And in order to have a trusted brand, you have to have people inside your company that trust in the company, trust what you're doing and believe in the vision and live the vision every day. So I think that um, I just wanted to note that we're sitting here talking about one of the largest um, companies in our industry and the experiences that you've been through. Uh, I think very, um, very few people could emulate all of the experiences that you've been through, Danya. But I think that a lot of our listeners um have been through some sort of merger or acquisition, and many of them have been in smaller environments. But I just want our listeners to know that everything you're talking about, you know, even if you're in a 20 person firm, it still applies. No, I think I think you're right. It really doesn't matter the the size or, or scale because you know the outcome. Like you said, you you want to um, um, have a successful brand. You want your customers and prospective customers to, you know, to buy based on that brand. But you know, if if your the culture inside the organization is not um, aligned and moving in the right direction, you know, and, internally, you know, how how can you how can you sell and position yourself successfully externally? So it's, it's important if you've got five people or if you've got, you know, 5,000 or 60,000 or whatever it may be, it's, it's quite important. I remember I was part of an acquisition also, and this was the tiniest of tiniest acquisitions where, you know, the company um, was looking to acquire um, um, intellectual capacity. You know, we were looking for subject matter ex- experts so that we could get into a new line of business. And so we acquired a, a, a small firm of, it was less than 10 people. It, you know, may have been somewhere like five or seven people, but they were the best at what they did. And um, and even with a, an acquisition that small, it was critical that we got, we understood what their existing culture was and what what um, they were, what we were trying to bring them into so that, um, you know, we could make it as seamless as possible. And so we went through some similar exercises, even though it was just a small group, but we wanted them to actually, you know, you know, feel at home and be a part of the, the big organization and, and, you know, continue to do what they did with their subject matter expertise, but do it um, in a way that uh, we had established with the larger firm. So, yeah, these are lessons that, that are certainly transferable across sizes of, um, of companies, different sizes. So 
you know, I think the main thing that I kind of want to just pick your brain on, ladies, both of you, is for our listeners out there that might be approaching a merger or acquisition, maybe they are the acquiring firm or the firm looking to be acquired, and that's part of their, their exit strategy. What are some of the top tips or the best practices that you would give them, you know, specifically about how to integrate the culture, specifically about considering that um, brand living, that, that value proposition that's going to be living on after the ink is dry, both internally and externally, and how to communicate that. And, um, you know, just kind of share some of those pearls of wisdom, if you could, with everybody. Katie, on the consulting side, you know, what we see a lot is that, um, there are not well-defined goals after the merger and acquisition. Again, the, the process um, begins in a very transactional way, a financially-based um, decision-making process. And all of the reasons that Donya named, um, whether it's to expand your geographic footprint or get into a new subject matter vertical um, are all great reasons. But, you know, we are sitting in an economy where we have, you know, 96% employment, and we have a real shortage of talent in the design and construction space. So what I'm seeing a lot is um, the biggest hindrance to growth for our, our clients is the ability to have the people to do the work. And so a lot of what is driving our customers um, in the acquisition space to acquire smaller companies or merge with equal size companies is the ability to have the manpower to do the work. And so, um, again, very operationally focused and absent of the people part. And so I think that my customers, um, where they, you know, the ones that do it well, where they succeed is they have very defined goals going into the merger and acquisition of explaining why they needed to do this in the first place and explaining to the employees why um, it's good for them and why it's good for the customer. Um, from that point, I think that Donya is absolutely correct that you have to say now, that's as far as we've taken it, and now you are going to help us build it from here and be involved in the building of a new culture. So I think that one of the mistakes that companies make is, is when the acquiring firm comes in and says, you know, we bought you, so you need to become us. Or, um, you know, in contrast to that, it's uh, we bought you, and together we need to come up with a new us. And so it's, um, it's a nuance, but it's so real. Nobody wants to dedicate themselves to a company just to find out that now they, you know, have to salute a new flag, and, and here's the recipe for doing so. They want to feel valued and not just uh, somebody that, to fill a role, to uh, fill a timesheet. So I think that, you know, it's really important that those upfront goals are established and well communicated. Um, and it should start with the why. Why did we do this in the first place? Um, Donya, would you agree with those sentiments? Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. Um, nothing like well-defined goals. And, you know, I think the most successful um, experience that I've had being part of a merger or acquisition was with a company that, you know, um, made a, uh, very much an effort to involve both 
companies, um, people from both companies, legacy companies, if you would, in developing the new brand, in developing the vision and the values and the behaviors. And, um, and, and when the work was done, you could have people from all across the organization from the, the previous legacy companies see that they had a, they had a fingerprint on that. Yeah. You know, we, we, we helped to, to build this. And so that to me is probably the, one of the best pieces of advice is, you know, rather than being ready to go on day one and everything's all prescripted and, you know, in terms of, you know, how we're going to look and, you know, here are our key messages, take the time to involve both sides in developing it. Um, it just becomes much more sustainable, I think, the, the work there. I also recommend, you know, um, dedicating resources to it and invest, actually invest in a brand strategy, invest in a comp. I'm going to give you a plug, Judy, invest in <laughs> like smartages. Um, the, the, the experiences that I have, um, I've, I've been in one where we try to, to do it ourselves. You know, we try to, you know, build that new brand and the vision values and all ourselves. And then I've been involved um, where we, we've made a, a, a good size investment in a brand strategy firm that was objective and that helped lead, um, um, you know, lead us in the, all the work that had to be done. So I, I think it's definitely worth having that firm on board. And then, you know, my third piece of advice is find ways for the employees to, as you said, Judy, live the brand, you know, find ways for them to actually tell their stories so that they are showing that, that, that they're living it. Um, you know, many companies in the AEC industry say they value safety. You know, that's just, that's almost a given now. But, you know, how often do you really get employees involved in talking about their stories of safety outside of work, you know? Um, or maybe you start each, me each meeting, not necessarily with a safety moment. Maybe you start each meeting with a culture moment that, you know, says, you know, hey, here's one of the, here's one of our, our core values. And I just want to give an example of where I saw this the other day at work. I so, love that. I think that is so great when companies can bring culture to the forefront and it's not just lip service. I think absolutely. that's just wonderful. Yeah. We, you know, and you know, I, one of the companies I was with, we had a, a, a huge portion of the workforce that actually is out there in the field, you know, doing construction work. So many times we, you know, we forget to communicate with that important segment of the company because, well, they may not have Wi-Fi or they may not have desktops or whatever, but you got to find a way to also reach that component and, um, and, and, and bring them into the loop, you know, bring them into how, how can they live out the values out there in the field. So, oh, you, you, you get it. It's a, it's fun work actually, you know, you get to be creative, but um, you have to be authentic in how you um, really get people to, to understand and, and participate in living what it is that we do on a day-to-day -day basis at work. I'm so glad you said the word authentic because I think the biggest mistake I see when, um, thank you for the plug, by the way, um, when <laughs> firms hire us, if they bring us to the table and they say, thank goodness you're here. Now, tell me what to say to my employees. And 
you know, that's not the right way to do it. I think the right way to do it is what is the truth and how do you communicate the truth? And, you know, I think that employees really appreciate authenticity and um, honesty in these transactions. The worst thing you can do is come in on day one and say, no one's going to lose their job. First of all, most people know that that's highly unlikely. Um, in the history of mergers and acquisitions, there's usually turnover. Either employees leave or, you know, there's duplication in roles. So I think that, you know, a lot of uh, leaders want to shy away from spreading bad news. And I think that, you know, you don't want to come in and say everything you've known, all, your life as you know it is changing. But the truth is, is it is. So why don't you focus on the why? Why is it changing? Why is it good for you? And why is it good for our customers? And why is it collectively good for the brand? And so I think that a lot of companies make mistakes in painting a perfect picture. Um, and it's not perfect. And I think that employees who um, have already been um, feeling blindsided, you know, a trust has been broken, the worst thing a company can do is sugarcoat or um, misalign the truth um, just because it's an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah, ab absolutely. People don't underestimate your workforce and they, they, they know when you're being sincere and authentic and, and it's okay to say if, if you don't know, you know, about something, but um, what it's not okay to do is to not communicate, you know, with folks. So, right. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Well, ladies, this has been really exciting. Um, sharing your stories from the mergers and acquisitions wars that you have waged over the years. Um, hopefully everybody found some helpful tidbits in there. If you are looking for some advice, you want to talk to a veteran, anybody can look Donya up. It's Donya Edler. You can find her on LinkedIn and connect with her. And again, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the AEC Marketing for Principals podcast. Have a great week. You've been listening to AEC Marketing for Principals, brought to you by Smartergies. If you like this episode, please let us know by visiting aecmarketingpodcast.com, where you can learn more ways to position your brand and sell to owners.